1: Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. I promise not to screw up the multiverse too much this week. It's episode 474 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham. So excited to be reviewing the Flash movie this week, I got to see it a little bit early, so that means the review comes a little bit early as well. Don't don't worry, I'm going to do it spoiler-free just in case you haven't had a chance to see it yet. I'm not going to be the guy that spoils it for you. I'm just going to put that out there right now. You might have seen spoilers other places. I'm not going to talk about them. There'll be a time and a place for that, so don't worry. We'll talk about spoilers for that eventually. Also, got an interview with U.V. Hecht, who plays... Ehrlich, and Pretty Freakin' Scary, which is a new Disney Channel series this is out, that is out now, and you can also watch it on Disney+. Plus. This looks like something very different from Disney Channel as far as live action shows as well. Might be, you know, aged up a little bit. I'll talk to him about that. Also going to be reviewing the first episode of season two of Star Trek Strange New Worlds. We'll do that without spoilers as well. I'm going to get really upset about some Superman and Lois news that came out. There's some other news that broke after I recorded my review of The Flash. Yeah, I'm going to talk about Star Wars Outlaws. I I don't talk about video games much anymore, but yeah, going to talk about that. Babylon 5 is back. Transformers and G.I. Joe are together. There's so much exciting stuff to get into, but I can't wait any longer to talk about The Flash. I'm going to actually start off the show with my review of The Flash movie. you will do that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
2: Hi, this is Richard Harmon from DC's The Flash, and you are listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast.
1: It finally feels like summer at the movies again. Big time blockbusters are back, and it seems like The Flash is kind of the catalyst for that a little bit. So I'm going to give you my spoiler-free review of The Flash. Got to see it a little bit early, but, you know, since it's just hit theaters, I know that some spoilers are out there already. I'm not going to be the guy that gives them to you, okay? So if if you haven't seen them yet... You're not going to hear them from me, and if I do have to say anything that's even kind of spoilery, I'm going to give you a warning first. So before I get into my review, I think that this is an important thing to kind of get out of the way, and I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it, and I want to talk about Ezra Miller for a second, okay, because I don't want it to get lost in in any of this praise for the Flash, that Ezra Miller has certainly had their fair share of of problems off the screen in the last year or two there's no denying that and the things that they're accused of the things that they have pretty much proven to have been done and i'm not going to get into any of that stuff you know the the accusations i'm not going to dig up old stuff you can find that on the internet on your own if you like but those things are deplorable they're awful and they're just bad things. I don't know Ezra Miller personally, so I can't comment on them specifically. But what I can tell you is that the things that have that have come out in the in the news in the past couple of years about Ezra Miller have been really, really bad. I don't support that in any way whatsoever. I, I, I can't comment on Ezra Miller, the person because I don't know them, and I'm going to say that again but This commentary about this movie has nothing at all to do with Ezra Miller the person. I want to just put that out there right now because I think it's really, really important. So now I can get into the actual review of the movie and tell you that as an actor and as performance, Ezra Miller as The Flash, as Barry Allen was fantastic and there's just No denying that whatsoever. If you look at this objectively, just as a performance-based thing, Ezra Miller did a fantastic job because there's a dual role going on here. And this is in the trailer. So you know this, this is not a spoiler. You have the Barry Allen of the future and the Barry Allen of the past, kind of. It's it's similar to that way. You know, he travels back in time to try and save his mother. And, you know, all hell breaks loose as a result of that. And in, and in which case, he encounters his 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 past self and his younger self. And that leads to Ezra kind of having to play this dual role of the two Barry Allens interacting with each other. And that's not easy to do. That's not just something that you can roll up and do easily, especially when it is a major part of the story. And the interaction between the two Barrys And you see like their divergent personalities and their divergent styles and all of these other things and and how they're very different, but also similar people at the same time. And the eventual road that leads them down toward the end of the movie and getting into the third act makes it very, very interesting. It's a hugely integral part of the plot of this movie. There's a lot of other stuff going on as well, but that particular aspect of the movie is the crux of the movie itself, is the, is the dynamic between the two berries, at least for me. Now, I want to address the whole Flashpoint thing, especially if you have not seen this movie yet. I want to temper your expectations a little bit. So you're thinking, okay, this is Flashpoint, resets the DCEU, blah, 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 heading into DC Studios. And if you're expecting the Flashpoint storyline from the comics, it's Flashpoint-esque. You're not getting Flashpoint here, really, except for the tried and true, you know, going back to save his mom thing. That's not really, that's kind of where it stopped, if you you want my honest opinion. There are little winks and nods here and there, too, to Flashpoint, but you're not getting the traditional Flashpoint story here. Flashpoint was used as a mechanism for how this story was told, for sure, but you're not getting a true sense of Flashpoint here. What you're getting is, that I think, a little bit more of a deeply emotional Barry Allen story and, you know, what he's struggling to try and do, why he's doing it, why he's doing the things that he's doing, how what his relationship with his mother means to him, what his relationship to his father means to him and all the inner workings of that. And then you're kind of pulling people in in the mix from there because, they, you know, obviously... You've got two Batman in this movie as well. You've got Bruce Wayne played by Ben Affleck. You've also got Bruce Wayne played by Michael Keaton. And two of the and the two of them also play an interesting role in how Barry kind of is approaching this whole thing. You get to see both of them give their perspectives on this. And you know, you you would think there, you know, there's that shared bond there of, you know, they both lost their families, sort of thing. So maybe that would make them bond, and maybe that, you know, that's how you kind of drive the story forward. Maybe you could make that argument, sure, and, and and that's part of this story as well, and how deeply that is a part of it, I will let the movie tell you that. I'm not going to tell you that myself, but I will say as far as Michael Keaton's Batman goes and why he is a part of this movie, it's sort of mo- almost like the this is the end universe you ended up in sort of thing, but just watching Michael Keaton work and seeing where he is as Bruce Wayne and Batman in this movie was very, very interesting to me and how the story played out and how he became a part of the story. Obviously, you know, he puts the cowl back on. It's in, Again, it's in the trailer. It's no secret you're getting Michael Keaton as Batman in this thing, but it, you're also not necessarily getting the same Michael Keaton that you got in Batman 89. And it, it, they explained very well, like, okay, here's why Bruce is where he is at this point in the story. This is why he ends up the way he is. This is why he's presented this way and this is why he ends up putting the suit on in this particular instance. This this is all these are all things that are explained very very well throughout this movie. And I think getting this different kind of Batman from Michael Keaton but at the same time still bringing back that spirit and that vibe. And when you see him in that suit And you see the action and how skilled this Batman is. And by the way, props to the stunt team. Whoever the stunt team was for Michael Keaton, their names escaped me. I apologize for that. But whoever the stunt team was that that were actually in the suit doing the work, they did a fantastic job not just presenting this action in an amazing way, but also making me feel like I was still watching the Michael Keaton Batman of old with the fighting style that was presented. And that's not something that's easy to do because you have to bring that sort of authenticity to this thing to make it make sense. And they did not leave that detail unturned. There were very subtle things that were done that just made me go, that's Keaton's Batman, especially like using like how the batarangs were used and how he would use the grappling hook and things like that to, to, as a combat mechanism Against his enemies, certain things like that just made sense to say. That's Keaton's Batman, right there, and and just and again, you know, the, the the Batwing being a part of this thing and the 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 classic Batmobile that we remember. All of these weren't just nostalgia traps. There's some Easter eggs too that you're really gonna love. These are not just nostalgia traps. These are all things that made sense within this story, and I thought that that was really really neat. They also made it made, make sense with, of course, you know, Zod being back as the villain, but also bringing in Sasha Kelly's Supergirl as well and how and why that ends up being the case and how she kind of drives the story forward as well. And I got to say, I was super impressed with her. If anything, I could have gotten more of Sasha Kelly as Supergirl because I really felt like she brought that angry Kara Zor energy to this role. She brought a different kind of you know. You, you see the Supergirl TV series, and you've seen versions of Supergirl in other forms of media and things like that. This is the angry Kara Zor the one that that that's a little bit unhinged, and I'm here for it because you've seen it in the comics, and you you understand why she is the way she is too, and how she eventually you know comes to be with this group. is is, again makes sense and then that brings her on the journey that she ultimately ends up on in this movie so again a very well well done well told story from her perspective and giving her character depth that was already there before they even got there and they just ended up bringing it up later on in the movie which i again it was just very very well executed and just watching her in action once she's suited up and once she's ready to go man it's it was just so freaking impressive and i loved every bit of it and this the, just the story and the and the way now was it a little bit too you know jokey in the beginning yeah sure it was definitely a little bit too jokey in the beginning you get some good cameos in the especially in the beginning too as well but, but the jokes landed a lot of the jokes actually landed and some of them, again, were subtle, but I'm not somebody that laughs out loud a lot when I'm watching a movie that's not supposed to be a comedy. And I laughed a few times easy watching this movie, but I will tell you that watching this movie, I also had a smile on my face almost the whole time because of what I was seeing and what I was getting. And speaking of which, and I'm going to, this is where it's really hard not to spoil things because I can't tell you why or how any of this happens and I'm going to have to be specifically vague on this and I apologize for that but what you're going to get to see in the third act of this movie when I say third act I mean like the ending you know heading towards the climax of the movie what you're going to get to see there are some things that I never thought I would see on the big screen ever ever and I saw them in this movie that much I can tell you I was so surprised at two specific things that I saw that I, that I, I actually, and I never talked during movies either, but I, I was, I was actually, I actually wowed out loud a couple of times. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I was also a little bummed at a couple things I didn't see, and I won't get into those either because I'm not, again, I'm not going to be that guy. That spoils that for you, but I, I, I'm I'm going to tell you that what you see is going to be quite incredible, and it spe- and and there's and they probably already revealed this, the final cameo at the end of the movie that it's probably already been revealed. But again, I'm not going to be the guy that does it for you. It, it was a laugh out loud moment, but it was also a wow moment at the same time, and it's also like one of those things that makes you think, you know, what is the future really going to be? So now that I've kind of broken down everything as much as I can without spoiling anything, this movie lived up to the hype in a way that a lot of movies don't. They get a lot of this hype. And it checked so many boxes for me. And the fact that it was made a Flashpoint story of its own and the way it was executed so well and perfectly to make me not go, man, I wish it was more like the comics. They actually... We're able to put this story together and give us something tangible, give us something that makes sense, and give us a story that at each beat seemed to make sense every single time. That's not something we typically have typically had from DC movies recently, even though I've loved most of them. But it's also not something that we've been getting from a lot of superhero movies, period. I think this movie executes its story so well that that alone is worth it but the performances themselves as well. If you're looking forward to seeing Michael Keaton as Batman again, you're not going to be disappointed. If you were looking forward to seeing Supergirl on the big screen for the first time ever, you're not going to be disappointed. If you were looking forward to The Flash in all of his glory, you're not going to be disappointed. There's so many things that you're going to enjoy about this movie if you allow yourself to, that is, of course. If you just want to hate on DC to hate on DC, that's fine. But this movie... Might not be the best DC movie ever. I can't give it that, but it's the best DC movie in a long time, and it is a good sign for the future of DC if they've kind of figured this out and how to make movies again that just have a re- now. Like like Aquaman was good, but it was fun, and it and it was what it was. The first Aquaman movie. That's why I like that, and I could go through other DC movies that I enjoyed, like Suicide Squad, but. It was like you liked them for what they were. This was actually a solidly really good movie that was executed well in all phases. And I will say that it was fantastic, nearly perfect. And I really hope you get a chance to go out and see it in the theater because I think that your mind's going to be blown at least once. I loved the Flash movie. I don't know if we're going to get more of any of this, but I got to tell you, I'd certainly be up for it and maybe there's a, some questions as to how or how we could get more of this, I'll save that for another show when it's a little safer to talk about. That's going to do it for my spoiler-free review of the Flash movie. Up next, yep, it's time to get, to get to an interview and talk to U V Hack, who plays Ehrlich in the new Disney series, Pretty Freakin' Scary. We'll get into that with him next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is David Fielding, Zordon from the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, and you're listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast. There's a really fun new show coming to Disney Channel and Disney Plus called Pretty Freakin' Scary. And it looks like it's going to be pretty freaking interesting as well. So I want to get this guy on to get a chance to talk about a little bit. He plays Ehrlich on the show. It's UB Hacked. UB, how you doing, man?
2: I'm doing great, James. Thank you for having me. All
1: right, look, man, this is your first major role as an actor. And it happens to be with Disney. How crazy is that, man? It's the Disney brand. So to have this be your first one, that's got to be special.
2: It's, it was crazy. I mean, I auditioned for it and I got the call from my manager and we were in Target and we were shopping for some gifts for my cousins because we were planning on going for a summer trip. And then I got the call and he told me that, that I got the role. And I, I I mean, I was in Target and I like screamed. I, it was crazy. It really was.
1: Yeah. So that, I mean, trip canceled probably at that point, right?
2: Yep. Trip canceled. Yeah. (laughs) But for a good reason, at least. (laughs) Of course. Yeah.
1: So this is a familiar story for some people anyway, because there's, there's of course the books as well. Were you actually familiar with the books at all before you went ahead and took the role?
2: Actually, no, I, I, I didn't even hear about it. I didn't even know that the books were, were a thing until I saw that it was based on the books, but after I got the role, I, I went out and bought the books. So I do have them now.
1: Well done. Well done. Well played. So based on that, obviously you've read the books and now that you've been in the show, what's the vibe of the show, like would you say compared to the book?
2: First of all, my character isn't actually in the book, which which, which is really fun. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they got to build like a whole new character around me, which was really cool. But I think the vibe is is super unique, especially for a Disney show. It's it's a different Disney show, and there's like the underworld and the Grim Reaper. So it has this like kind of mysterious vibe to it, which which I love. I think it's really cool.
1: So fans are going in fresh, like you said, obviously. So what can you actually tell us? About Ehrlich. I know we don't really want to spoil anything and I know you're a recurring guest star. So what how, how much can you actually tell us about him?
2: So they haven't told me exactly what I can say and what I can't say, but a lot of the questions that I've been getting is is how am I similar to Ehrlich? And I think that both me and Ehrlich are are very true to ourselves and we don't want people to like us for for other things other than who we are. So I think that me and Ehrlich both try to find our real friends and we both want people to actually like us for who we are.
1: Interesting. And I mean, that's, that's true to life for, for most people I would say, wouldn't you?
2: Yeah, I agree
1: for sure. Now I will say though, UV, there are, there are some photos that Disney released not too long ago and we see Ehrlich and he's interacting with Grim Reaper who's played by Shabon Murphy a little bit. So uh, is that maybe a little bit of a hint for us?
2: Yeah, just uh, just a little bit of a hint. Yeah. It's, when you do see that episode I think that a lot of people are uh, are going to freak out.
1: Interesting. Interesting. What was it like for you going into a Disney show knowing okay yeah we are dealing with the underworld and this is a little bit different. Are you going to push the envelope a little bit from what we normally see from Disney?
2: I think so. I I mean of of course when I read like the first couple episodes and I saw that there was this underworld thing I was I was like I was like ooh what's this going to be, you know?
1: Absolutely, man. And talk about, of course, Elian who plays Frankie. She's she just has such an energy about her. You can just see that in the trailer. So, what kind of an energy did she not only bring to the role of Frankie, but to the set as well for everybody?
2: I uh, when I first met her, me and her connected really quickly, and and we got close really quickly. I mean, we started hanging out on and off sets. We would like the cast together. We'd go to dinners. We would hang out and like do escape rooms and stuff. So, I think she she's also a really good leader. So. I think when she comes on set and and she has she she brings a lot of energy so I think everyone else kind of connects with her and they kind of bring the same energy too.
1: That's really fun that you guys were doing escape rooms and stuff like that. Who was the best at, at the escape rooms? Who who was the one that was actually leading the charge the most?
2: So the it was, the escape room was 15 minutes and Just 15 minutes? 15 I'd have been minutes.
1: stressed, dude.
2: Yeah. So it came down to the last like 30 seconds and we were all freaking out. And I was like searching frantically. I was like, "Ooh!" I was flipping over everything, clicking random buttons. And I saw this button and I clicked it. And with two seconds left, the door opened. So I'm going to say I was the MVP. No
1: way. So that's I, basically the, cl- the closest thing you're going to get to making a shot at the buzzer then is what you're saying. Yeah.
2: Yep. <laughs> that's so cool. I'm going to take the MVP.
1: Yeah. You know what? It sounds like you earned it. So you can go ahead and take it and, and be I, proud of I appreciate
2: of that. that. I appreciate that.
1: Now, man, outside of the show, though, you've, I was looking at your bio, you lived in some incredible places and visited so many other incredible places as well. Do you kind of think those expe- experiencing all those different places, all these different cultures actually helped prepare you as an actor, maybe for some different roles in the future?
2: Yeah, I think, well, my childhood was crazy. You know, I, we travel all the time. I've lived in three different continents. So I think that living in those continents have helped me adapt to, to different cultures. And I've also learned the languages of where I lived. So I've gotten more opportunities for auditions with other languages. And I've also got to learn different accents. So I think that it's it's a huge, it, it helps me a lot, I think.
1: I, I, I can imagine so for sure. What was your favorite spot that you lived in or you visited? I mean, either way. Oh,
2: visited? Visited has got to be Italy. We lived in Austria and we'd have a long weekend me and my family would just hop in the car and it's it's like an eight hour drive so that was really cool so we've done that a couple times but I think my favorite place that I've lived in has got to be Hong Kong
1: is there a particular reason that it was Hong Kong
2: well it was my childhood so I have like a bunch of memory a bunch of warm memories so thinking back to those memories I, I think Hong Kong was a great place for me to grow up and I made some amazing friends there that I'm still in touch with so yeah
1: that's amazing, man. That's amazing. Well, I mean, you hop in the car and, and eight hours, and you end up in Italy. I'd end up in Connecticut. So that's that's much <laughs> better. That's much better than my drive for sure. <laughs> yeah. So I, I I've heard you you know, you you love playing sports and and all that other stuff, And I also hear you're trained in a very specific style of martial arts. How much can you How much can you tell us about it? Because I don't know that I've ever even heard of this before.
2: Yeah. So it's called Capoeira, and it's this Brazilian martial arts dance type thing. And I did it in Hong Kong. And I would compete in like different competitions and stuff. And actually one of, one of the competitions I competed in, I ended up getting second place for my age group in the whole Asia. So yeah, I still, wow. uh, I still know some of the like flips and stuff from Capware that I still do today, which is really cool.
1: It sounds like you basically, so you mesmerize them and then you knock them out is what you're saying.
2: Exactly exactly this
1: sounds freaking awesome well have i never heard of this and why am i not doing this <laughs> i might have to look into this for sure oh, it's
2: never too late to start
1: that's right absolutely not no way so that means i mean hey then what superhero role are you preparing for then you got the you got the skills you got the accents you got the language so what what are we prepping for here uv come on
2: we're prepping for a new superhero
1: oh so you just want to go ahead and, and break the mold and do something brand new Yep. That seems, do, do you have an, I mean, now now you got to pitch me. What's your, what's your idea? What kind of a hero would you like to play?
2: I wasn't ready for this. You know, a martial arts hero would actually be like really cool. Like some guy that does like flips and is like really good at combat. That would be sick.
1: That would be pretty freaking cool for, for sure. Pretty freaking I, cool. I mean, we've seen some of that, but I think we could see more of that. I don't think we've seen yeah. quite enough of it for yeah, seriously. For sure. But yeah. My favorite superhero, I mean, I'm, I'm a Batman and Spider-Man guy. I go back and forth. Okay. They're very different, too, though. So it's yeah. like it depends on my mood sort of thing. You know, I just saw the Flash. So, of course, I'm leaning Batman now. And it was Spider-Man um, right before that after seeing Spider-Verse. So it, yeah. it varies.
2: I'm a Doctor Strange guy.
1: Oh, Doctor. See, not many people are going to say Doctor Strange is like their favorite hero. So that's He's that's so pretty
2: underrated.
1: Cool. Now, from comics or from like animated series or, or the movies?
2: I've never been big into comics. The animated movies, like I just watched the new Spider-Man, I think it was good, but I think the real movies just have something more that the animated ones don't.
1: Fair enough. Fair enough. For sure. That's that's a hot take that not a lot of people have. So that's 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 pretty cool. That's Before I favorite. let you go, UV, man, what's next for you? Or do you, do you have something scheduled already? Or do you have something that, that you'd maybe like to do in the future now that you've got pretty freaking scary rolling out here?
2: So for now, there's there's nothing next. I'm just auditioning right now. But I think that my ideal role would be like a, like a big blockbuster drama movie, because I feel like I can express myself the most with drama. And I think that's what I'm best at. So I... Personally, I think I would really kill a drama role.
1: Well, make sure you're keeping your eye open for him for that. But right now, you got to watch Pretty Freaking Scary, which you can do every Thursday on Disney Channel. Next thing on Disney Plus, too, by the way, so you get a chance to watch it in both places. And keep an eye out for this guy and find out what he's going on. UV Hacked, thank you so much, man, for your time. I really appreciate it.
2: Thank you, James.
1: And when it comes to pretty freaking scary, I think that that's something that, I mean, the, the, the title is sort of like, you, you know, make, maybe they go, oh, it's like a Goosebumps type thing. It's really not. If you see the trailer, first of all, we're talking about a dead 14-year-old that comes back to life here. So that, that's already something, that's already different dis- t- t- territory for Disney Channel anyway. But it looks like there's some really fun character work that goes into this as well. So that well, that's one of the things that can make you intrigued by this story, and especially the the mystery surrounding Yuvi's character. I mean, he's got me intrigued. I'm not sure you know, what's going to be going down on there. So we're going to have to see what Ehrlich's getting into. And again, this is just a name that you never know when you're going to hear a name and be like, oh, where did I hear that name before? And you find out, oh, that's a kid that started on Disney Channel. I'm pretty freaking scary. So yeah, UV hacked. Yeah, definitely watch out for him. I think he's he's got some good stuff coming up for him for sure. Make sure you watch some pretty freaking scary to find out what that's all about as well. Again, thanks to UV Heck for joining me to talk about pretty freaking scary and some other stuff this week. Up next, going to get back to the reviews and talk about Star Trek: Strange New Worlds season two has premiered, and I'll talk about it next. I'm James Witham. This is the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
0: This is comic book writer Jackson Landon, and you're listening to the Down and
1: Nerdy Podcast. It's time for another ride on the Enterprise. Star Trek: Strange New Worlds season two has now premiered on Paramount Plus. The first episode actually came out for season two on Thursday. I'm going to do spoiler-ish for this review on this, because I don't want to get too deep into, into the story and ruin it for you. If you haven't had a chance to watch it yet, but this second season, it, it actually is more of a Spock episode than anything else, because you've got, you know, if you watched last season, you know what happened with number one and everything that's going on there. And, and you know, how is, how are things going to work out for her? And Pike kind of goes off to sort of help her. And it's, and leaves Spock in charge of the Enterprise, and then they get this distress call from Laan, and they they say, "Okay, is it really a distress call? Is this the right thing to do?" So, and this is in the episode description, so don't hate me for this. This is not a spoiler if you haven't had a chance to watch it yet. But basically, this leads Spock to be like, "Yeah, we're just gonna we're gonna steal the Enterprise, and we're gonna go help her because it seems like it's the right thing to do." So it's it's you know Spock going against his you know again going against his Vulcan instincts and being. Not as Vulcan as you might think, and going off to help a crew member and somebody that that this this team cares about, and what it ends up doing is putting them back into disputed space, and you know risking war with the Klingons again, and, and, and bringing up that whole thing, and you know they're, they're kind of short on crew a little bit here in this thing as well, so that brings things into question. There's also a lot of great work from Jess Bush's Nurse Chapman in this thing, and also Dr. Mbenga is is a big part of this story as well. I think that they both have wonderful performances in this particular episode, especially they also run into an old friend and they find out why Lon is, is where Lon is in the first place, kind of fulfilling a promise that she had. And I'm not, again, I'm not going to spoil that if you haven't had a chance to see the episode either. But what what you get is is a lot of action in this thing. You also get a lot of a lot of Spock and kind of his, you know, am I becoming too human sort of thing, right? Am I starting to experience more things that humans would experience? And watching Spock, a young Spock, reconcile with, you know, feelings in general. You know, as as people, we sort of take humans for granted. I know we're talking about fictional character here, but but let's go down this road anyway. For, as humans, we kind of take feelings for granted because we've always had them. And, and we always will sort of thing. And what you know, no matter what kind of feelings they are, imagine not having them at all. Now there's times where you might feel, oh, I don't care anything about this. Yeah, you do, or you wouldn't be saying anything about it. Right. So imagine not having feelings and only working on logic up to a certain point. And then all of a sudden, bam, you rev this rush of what is feelings of any kind, right. Whether it be love, compassion, you know, jealousy, fear, whatever. Imagine having those things all of the sudden and having to deal with it. We get to see some of that in this episode, uh, this this first episode of season two of Star Trek Strange New Worlds. And I think that it's really interesting to see Spock at such a young age struggling with this. It's a, it's a really good way to turn back the clock and see that. We've seen Spock struggle with these things before in, in, in other Star Trek stories, but th- this is different because we're talking about a younger Spock here. And of course, you know, reconciling his feelings maybe for Nurse Chapman at the same time. That's It's been no secret that they've kind of danced around that whole thing, right? So, you know, we get to see that kind of get forwarded a little bit here. And again, we get to see this crew bond a little bit more even without Pike. And that's kind of an important thing. Like how strong is your crew when you have somebody else taking over the bridge, sort of thing, right? So we get to see how strong this crew really is. And we kind of had an idea, right? And even shorthanded, this crew has proved that they're they're a fun bunch. They work well together and they're willing to stick their necks out for each other. And that's not something that you can always say, especially when you're going against Admiral April's orders here because, you know, it's like when he tells you to stay put and you don't sort of thing, especially when you're trying to, you know, fake a reason to get out, get out of there, especially when you're just flat out told no when you do it anyway. Sort of thing, but that's very enterprise, isn't it, and it's very- it's a very Star Trek thing, and that's one of the things I loved about this episode. I'm like this is such a Star Trek episode. the only The only thing that's missing right now is Kirk, but then you get to see Spock out of his shell a lot in this thing, and Spock's proven that he will step outside of himself to do what needs to be done for what he feels is the greater good. Now would you say that's more Vulcan than anything else? Maybe it is, maybe it's not. Maybe he's the least Vulcan of the Vulcans, and there's kind of a little wink and nod to that as well. But watching Spock's journey and where this season could go for him, I think is going to be really fun. But also, again, getting to just go out to different worlds and explore different things and seeing how stuff can kind of go sideways in that in doing that, again, to me, is very Star Trek, and it harkens me back to watching the original series. It harkens me back to watching the next generation a little bit where the, you know, star Trek episodic television at its finest, I feel like it's being done right here by strange new worlds. No disrespect to star Trek discovery who, which is also a really good show, but this is a star Trek. I'm in it for these situational things, but also meaningful long-term storytelling being blended together. I think that this show is star Trek to its peak in, especially in the modern era right now i'm not saying that this is better than any of the previous star trek series of old that we love i am not saying that at all don't think that's what i'm saying what i'm saying is is that this is the one this is the kind of star trek that i've been waiting for since these shows came back i felt that way in season one i get that already at the beginning of season two and i'm looking forward to seeing where some of these personal journeys are going to go for these crew members, I'm all in on all of these crew members. Actually, I think that this is a crew that I'm re- I really dig top to bottom, and they're going to have to make some changes here in season two based on certain things, and it's going to be interesting to see where that goes. But this crew is just it's it's a fun bunch, and they have, they're have, they're so skilled, but you can, you can tell that they're better together for sure. I think this is going to be a really fun season of Star Trek Star Trek Strange New Worlds season two streaming every Thursday on Paramount Plus. I'm definitely going to be watching. Hopefully, you will be as well. That's going to do it for my review of Star Trek Strange New Worlds Season 2 premiere. Up next, there's some nerd news to get to, and I might get a little fired up right off the bat. Don't miss this. I'm James Witham, and this is The Down and Nerdy Podcast.
2: Hey, guys. This is Wole, Parks, from Superman and Lois, and you are listening to The Down and Nerdy Podcast with James Witham. <laughs>
1: From a super renewal to super disappointment, it's time for nerd news. And I want to record this when when I was good and mad. So I'm doing this right after I'm seeing this report. So let's do the good news first. Of course, that Superman and Lois is going to be back on the CW for, on the CW, I want to make that clear, for a fourth season. Now let's start to get into the bad news and some of the stuff the Deadline has reported so far this week. Season four is going to be reduced to 10 episodes now. You kind of see that coming because a lot of shows are getting shortened on the CW right now because of, you know, the kind of the turmoil and new ownership and things like that. And, you know, Gotham Knights are not going to be back at all. That's been canceled after one season, but that's a a different conversation. Here's the other piece of bad news is that seven, count them, seven series regulars will not return in that capacity. That doesn't mean they're not going to return in recurring guest star roles, things like that, but as series regulars, they will not return, and I'm going to actually list them and butcher their names in the process. Dylan Walsh, who, of course, plays Lois's dad. You know that. You've got Emmanuel Chakiri, who plays Lana. She's not going to be a regular cast member anymore, who plays Kyle Indy Neverett, who plays Sarah Cushing. So the whole Cushing family is being gutted at this point. You can just say the same for the Irons family as well because Wally Parks who plays John Henry Irons. Again, not going to be a regular cast member coming up on this season, and that goes for Taylor Buck as well, who plays Natalie Irons, and Sophia Hazmick, who plays Chrissy Beppo, also not going to be back as a regular cast member. Now, Michael Cudlitz, who's going to be Lex Luthor on the show, who's going to be in these last couple of episodes of this season, is going to be upped as a regular, so we're going to definitely get a lot of Lex Luthor in this short and fourth season. But I'm upset about this for a lot of reasons, but I want to start with this and that is that this show deserves better it absolutely 100% deserves better the way that they've executed all three seasons of the show has been amazing just balancing the family aspect of superman and clark kent and his family and lois and what lois has gone through this season and how what that effect is, that it's had on the family and just the the dynamic between the relationship between lois and clark and the kids and everything. It's been wonderful storytelling, not to mention the story and everything that went down with Bruno Mannheim and everything in Smallville. It's, it's just been a great season. And then you're going to cut the legs out from under the show by, by lowering the budget seemingly significantly. I don't have an actual number on this, but you're going to cut the budget. On a show that I get is, is expensive. I understand that. And the one thing the CW seems to want to do is cut costs right now. But you're, you're going to cut this show short at 10 episodes, which you again, you can do, especially once you know going in. Okay, now there's, they haven't officially said this is the final season, but let's face it, come on, let's, at least on the CW, it'll be the final season for sure. And then you take so many of these cast members that are vital to the story and you say, yeah, well, you know, we're not going to need you on a regular basis anymore. And maybe you say, okay, you know, maybe the focus should be more on the Kents and their family and whatever this... Upcoming, you know, battle with Lex Luthor. It's going to be. We want to see more of that and less of everything else. Okay, maybe you do want to see that, but isn't one of the reasons you love this show in the first place the dynamic with the Cushing family and everything that's going on? You know, with 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 Sarah and Jordan and, and you know the way things. You know, the way Chrissy Chrissy's been supportive of Lois at, the, at 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 the paper in Smallville and things like that, and, and and how that's going to go. Maybe we'll find out more at the end of this third season as to why. A lot of these cast members won't be back. Maybe there there is going to be a good reason for this. But again, it just feels like the cheapening of something for the for the almighty dollar. And that drives me insane because this show deserves better. And have you ever thought to yourself, and, and I know that you have because I see it on social media all the time, is that, you know, insert show name here deserves another season to be able to finish its story. And that is very, very true, right? You don't necessarily want to be left with a cliffhanger. You don't also necessarily want to say, here's Lex Luthor and now we're done with this sort of thing, right? But at the same time, you get to get a shortened fourth season. It, it, it could end up being rushed. You saw how this final season of The Flash went. My frustrations with the end of that. And like, all, you know, all of a sudden we're getting to the best part of the story and you had to rush through it at the end with the, with, the, with the Flash series. So the CW does that, and now I'm looking at this 10 episodes of Superman and Lois and going, I'm worried that the same thing is going to happen, and that we've got to rush through all this stuff, and then at the end, in the final few episodes, you're going to get to the stuff that I wish we'd had the entire season anyway. So the CW has not proven to me that they're going to be able to deliver the kind of final season, again, if it is the final season that we deserve. So part of me almost wishes that the show was canceled by the CW, and then possibly be able to give life somewhere else. Does that mean it would have gotten more episodes on, say, the Mac streaming service? Not necessarily. Doesn't mean that it would have gotten more episodes on there, on Netflix, on Prime Video, wherever this show would have ended up, should it have been canceled by the CW. But you know what the show might have had? If it was canceled now, a future in general. Because it just feels like we're going to get this fourth season, and that's going to be it. I realize this show is expensive, and that is... You know, a tough thing for any network or streamer to take on right now. But at the same time, this is a show that's worth it because it's got a good following, a good fan base, good storytelling, a wonderful cast. This is these are these checks all the boxes of a show you'd want on your network. Right? So why not let if you love something, let it go, right? But the CW wants to have their cake and eat it too. They want to gut their own network, put on a bunch of of sports and reality programming and be like, "Oh no, we're hanging on to like two shows because we know that these are the shows that will that people might still watch and we're not going to put on anything else." So you're cheapening your network in one hand and on the other hand trying to hang on to the last gasps of fandom that you might have for legitimate scripted television and that just drives me nuts. And I can't believe this is what's going to happen with Superman and Lois. I'm still going to watch and enjoy the hell out of this fourth season, I'm sure, because it's still Superman and Lois. But at the same time, this show deserves better. It, it, it really does. And I really hope this isn't the end and how it's going to go down. I hope it's a fantastic final season. But the way that The Flash was rushed through in its final season, I'm a little bit worried. And I, I really hope I'm wrong on this. Let's move on to some more positive DC news, shall we? And that is that the Flash director Andy Machete, will actually be leading the next Batman movie for DC Studios. This, is according to Variety, and that the Flash director is going to be the director of the Batman: Brave and the Bold movie for DC Studios. His sister Barbara is going to join him to produce as well. And James Gunn actually said in a quote to Variety that that there was only really one choice. For this. And if you look at what Andy did with the Flash, and I didn't want and I didn't talk about this in my review earlier because this news actually broke after I recorded my review. So if you look at what Andy did with the Flash and the family aspect of the story, right, then you kinda gotta agree with James Gunn. The way he handled Barry Allen's family dynamic was so good. And this whole movie is gonna be big time about Bruce Wayne's relationship with Damien and where that relationship's going to be. Is it going to follow the storyline where he just finds out that he has a son? Wherever that is, you're going to have to deal with this dynamic between Bruce and Damien, between Batman and Robin. So, how's that going to go down? And Damien's kind of a prick. Let's face it, he's, he's a little prick, and we know that from the comics. From animated series basically anything we've ever seen about Damien now does Damien have his moments where you know he's he's you know he's got a he's got a good side to him of course he does but mostly especially in the beginning he's very prickish so how that will be handled will have to be very delicate especially because you don't want audiences that don't know really anything about Damien you don't want to lose them so how do you manifest that into something that will work for this movie and Andy machete I think has the best vehicle to be able to do that and he's clearly built that foundation to show us hey yeah this guy's very capable of making this happen I think it's a good choice this is, it, this is not a movie I think we're going to see anytime soon I think it's going to be a while and let's face it with the long slow burn that the flash movie was on and how long it took dad to get made I think Andy's good I think I think he'll be fine with doing that. Now, you know, release dates are very fluid right now because of the, of the writer's strike and maybe the pending SAG strike and all that. That's going to probably push a lot of things. It's already pushed a lot of stuff for Disney and Marvel as it is. So we'll have to see if and when this, this gets made and, you know, will Andy still be the director at the end of the day? Hopefully we'll find out at some point down the line. So right now though, a very exciting announcement. I think and a really good choice as well. Some really fun trailers came out this week. I actually, to, I can't remember the last time I talked about a video game trailer, honestly, but how could I not talk about Star Wars Outlaws from Massive and Ubisoft, which is supposed to come out in 2024. Let's face it, it's video games. We have no, no freaking clue when they're coming out. You really cannot possibly know when a video game is going to come out ever. So let's just say 2024 for now because that's what they said. This will be the first open world Star Wars game. That alone is exciting. It's set both between Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. And the the protagonist, if you want to call it that, Kay Vess, is the name of the character. She's kind of a scoundrel, kind of definitely has some Han Solo vibes to her. She's got some, she wants to, she's seeking her freedom. She wants to start a new life and just basically be left alone at this point, right? And she's got her little companion, Nyx, which is the closest thing you can get to a dog-cat hybrid sort of thing. That you can get in the Star Wars universe. And she also has ND5, the droid as well. Pretty badass looking droid too, I must say. And basically this is, you can go where you want to go and do jobs that you want to do. And if you watch the gameplay trailer that accompanied this after the fact, it was like 10 minutes-ish. Where she goes on a mission where she takes something from the Pike Syndicate, right? and then well and she you know as a scoundrel as they describe her she, you got to got kind of got to play all angles and that gets her in trouble with the empire and then you got to book it from the empire but the pike syndicate just seems to be if not the main antagonist one of the main antagonists cuz you're already talking about the empire they're going to be antagonists regardless at this stage in the star wars timeline but the pike syndicate going to be very much a part of this as well. It looks like there's a variety of weapons that you can use. It looks like there's a variety of combat styles that you can use. There's also like a choose your own adventure type aspect to this as well. You see that in the gameplay trailer where you could try and bribe somebody from the empire, or you could decide not to and see how that goes. So the replayability is there as well. And I was listening to some of the interviews with the developers, and they were talking about how, you know, if you just see a random ship, Flying off in an interesting direction. You can follow that ship and see what happens and see where it goes. And maybe it turns into something and maybe it doesn't. So I love the fact that, A, we're getting this open world game. And B, it has that endless world of possibilities type aspect to it. To where you can go to all these different places. Now, I'm the kind of guy that when I play games, I like to finish the main story first. And then I'll go back and do all the side mission type stuff. I'll I'll do that. So... I feel like this is one of those games that could not only do that for you, but I feel like you could almost even before that get lost in the side missions, right? Because you're just having so much fun and you almost, you almost kind of drift away from the main story. So I'm sure there's going to be a, there is going to be a main story, but at the same time, it sounds like there's so much other stuff that you're going to be able to get into as well. It's, it's, you know, obviously things are going to change as you get close to the release date. That's just the way things happen. But the gameplay looks looks really smooth. The graphics look amazing. But, you know, what else do you expect from these days with the, with the engines that they have now to be able to create these games? But this one looks really cool. I think KVS is a really neat lead character that I think that we're going to fall in love with eventually. And I can't wait to see more from this over the coming months. And let's face it, years. Because, Inevitably, games get delayed, but we'll have to see what happens with this one. Do you know Babylon 5 is back? Yeah. There's a new animated Babylon 5 movie from Warner Brothers Discovery Home Entertainment called Babylon 5, The Road Home. It's going to be coming out on August the 15th. This is set two years after the ISA won the Shadow War. And you've got John Sheridan. Yep. And And he is voiced by the person that played John Sheridan in the show, in the first place, a few of the characters back. So Bruce, Bruce Brooks Bachleitner is back. And basically you've got John Sheridan here. He's, he's no longer going to be the head of the ISA. He's stepping away, but then all of a sudden something happens and he ends up getting sucked into this, you know, alternate realities, multiple timelines thing. And he just keeps jumping. So there's a lot of time jumping going on here. And and he ends up in a universe. You see this in the trailer where they, they actually didn't win the Shadow War and things like that. And then there's all these different things that happen. And then you've got Zathris who says, You know, nobody ever listens to me. This is where we're, this is the reason why you're bouncing around. You got to find your way back to Babylon 5. So there'll be some familiar faces. There are going to be some new revelations as well, according to the synopsis. And there's going to be, you know, just basically finding your place and the purpose and the meaning of the universe, sort of thing. So there's, there's a lot of like big implications. That come from this. But you've got many members of the original class. Cro- Claudia Christian's going to be coming back. You've got a P- P- Peter Jur- Jurassic is going to be coming back as well. You've got Bill Mummy is going to be coming back. And Tracy Scroggins and, and many more are, are, are going to be there. And there's going to be some new cast members as well. So if you're a Babylon 5 fan and you've been waiting for a new story, it's like, how do you bring back Babylon 5 without screwing things up? And trying to reboot and all this other stuff, and then they just said, "Screw it, let's just do an animated movie." And I think that's really smart because you can bring back the original cast if you want to. You bring that familiarity back to fans, and you can, you know, just set into whatever timeline you want. And let them voice the characters, basically. And you don't there's, you don't have to use CGI. You don't need to da, da digitally de-age anybody or anything like that. I think this is a really smart move, and it looks like it's going to be a pretty neat movie. Now you're going to need to make you know, these timelines and these time jumps make sense and everything. And you're going to have to, you know, keep a bit more of a linear story and, and keep things from just being a, a complete bounce around the entire time. But other than that, I mean, I think this is an interesting idea. And if this works, this sets you up for many more of these movies in the future. So I'm psyched to see what the future for this might of this might be for Babylon 5. Going to be coming out April the 5th, excuse me, August the 15th to 4K, Ultra HD, Blu-ray, digital HD, all that stuff. So you can actually bring it home with you as well. Foundation season two going to be coming to Apple TV plus on July the 14th. And we got the first trailer for that second season as well. And basically this is set a century after the season one finale. So you want to talk about time jumps. This is basically it. And you've got foundation and empire basically getting ready to go for a lot war at this at this point it seems like there's a collision course between the two of them and you get to see those two the two sides of the coin brother day I think the 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 on the Empire's part and then you've got Harry on the foundation part as well and you see them get ready to clash at the end of this first trailer but there's just you know there's a lot of action going on and there's premonition stuff that that, that you kind of see and it really does look like Things are just unraveling, basically all around them. And there's something about a vengeful queen that plots to destroy the empire from within. In this trailer, and I think that that's really interesting as well. But again, as far as continuing the story goes, this looks like it's if you loved the first season of Foundation, that you're going to love this one, regardless. And and this just has the very same vibe of the Asimov story to begin with. So I think that this this definitely sets you up for a really good second season. And it seems, and it's basically said the, the, the first part of the synopsis is the second crisis is coming. So that's why, you know, you always want to jump to the next crisis. You got to go where the action is, right? In your stories. So that's exactly kind of what they're doing here. So And, and you know, the, the creative team is back on board for this as well. Season two of Foundation Apple TV Plus on July the 14th. I don't think this is the last time I'm going to be talking about Foundation for sure. So just get ready for that. I can't remember the last time I had a comic book story this big to talk about. But we're going to talk about it. Of course, you know, IDW loses the license to the Hasbro properties. Skybound picks it up. And now we have a Transformers G.I. Joe shared universe that's going to be coming to Skybound. There's a lot of moving parts to this thing. But they do have Larry Hama back to talk to, to write G.I. Joe Real American Hero, We're going to continue that story. I believe that starts in September, but then launching in October, a new Transformers number one is going to be headed by Daniel Warren Johnson, who did Extremity and DC's Wonder Woman Dead Earth. And also Mike Spicer going to be the colorist for this as well. And basically you have Optimus Prime, you know, he's supposed to lead the Autobots to victory. Instead, you have the fate of a Cybertron that's not really known at all. And his allies crash-landed, Far From Home alongside the Decepticons. And that's the gist of where this first number one is going to go for Transformers anyway. And then you've got a limited series coming out in December. This is going to be called the Energon Universe, by the way. where you have got Duke number one, which is going to be the first G.I. Joe limited series. And powerhouse writer Joshua Williamson going to be heading up this one. Tom Riley and Jordy Belair are going to be the art team on this. And I really think that this one has the ability... To be really, really cool, because this is basically when the world is just the, the Autobots and Decepticons have arrived, and this is when you have Duke investigating the mysteries behind the Transformers themselves. That is a super cool concept, if you if you ask me. And then you got Cobra Commander, another limited series. It's going to be happening in January of 2024, and Josh Williamson going to be headlining that one as well, and Andrea Milana is going to be on the art team with Annalisa Leone, excuse me, on that one from Oblivion Song as well. So it seems like there's big, big plans. You know, Void Rivals, number one, already out, if you want to go grab that, because that'll kind of really start things off. But to have this shared universe, we saw some of that. We definitely saw some of that in IDW, but not nearly enough, right? They could have kept that going for sure. And with what's going on in the movies right now, and I'm not going to spoil that for you in case you don't know what's going on, but with what's going on in the movies right now, this makes perfect sense. If you ask me to do this in the comics, it seems like everything's going to be more cohesive now. And let's face it, Skybound knows how to put out really good books. So I'm supremely confident in their ability to do this, and I'm super psyched for what's going to be coming up in this thing, and I can't wait to read these books and review them as well. Maybe we'll find out more about this at Comic-Con, too. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, remember, remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcast: Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Apple Music, wherever you like to listen, Pocket Cast, CastBox, on the Realm app, whatever. Just just listen to us wherever you can and subscribe. Really, really appreciate it when you do that. Find out everything about us at downandnerdypodcast.com. Also, follow along at downandnerdy757 on Twitter and Instagram, at downandnerdy on Facebook at down and nerdy pod on TikTok. But more important than that, any of that, you never have to apologize for being a nerd. So let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds.